Welcome to the July 2020 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we will start off with a little bit of tree talk from one of our listeners who shares her genealogy journey and success. And then we're going to visit with Farouk Tahid, host of the NBC series sponsored by Ancestry called Roots Less Traveled. In the DNA Deconstructed segment, Diane Southern is back to discuss health DNA tests and their implications on insurance. And then our longtime friend of the show, author Dave Frixell, is back with the 101 Best Websites list for 2020. We will wrap things up at the editor's desk where Amanda Epperson, the e-learning producer at Family Tree University, is going to join me to talk about the newly updated course I'm going to be teaching later this month. As always, we have a lot to cover, so let's get to it. First up is Tree Talk. In today's Tree Talk segment, Margaret Klein Harmon wrote in to share how she used her genealogy skills to help her mother piece her history together. Margaret writes, In 1916, a killer tornado destroyed my mother's family home and property. She was 15 months old. Once the storm passed, neighbors found her crying in a field a quarter mile away. The tornado had killed her father, her grandmother, and an aunt named Flozy. This tragedy left her with little knowledge of her family history. She did, however, know that Flozy's husband, Hillis, one of her father's brothers, died during World War I. This gave me a starting point to help her research her family. To begin our genealogy journey, my mother and I visited a cemetery where she was sure the Price family, her family, was buried. Sure enough, we found her uncle Hillis Price's headstone. The inscription read, Born February 25th, 1894, died November 11th, 1918, which was right around the time of the First World War. Altogether, we found five Price headstones. Hillis's marker stood next to his brothers, Harry Price and Henry Price, their mother, Annalise, and their father, James D. Price. Next, I turned to courthouse research and online newspapers. I learned that Hillis Price married Flozy Carmody on February 21, 1915. On December 12, 1915, God blessed the couple with a beautiful daughter named Lillian Irene Price. Sadly, the frail child died 10 days later. Then Flozy was killed in the 1916 tornado, which, no doubt, left Hillis in shock. In late 1917, world freedom was under threat by Germany and life itself was under siege from deadly Spanish flu. In mid-1918, with his wife and daughter dead, Hillis decided to volunteer with the U.S. Army. This unfortunate decision would be his demise. He was housed in the close quarters of an army camp with men infected with the flu. On November 11, 1918, World War I ended. Sadly, Hillis Price's life ended that day, too. Just four years earlier, Hillis's father, James D. Price, had had four sons. By November 11, 1918, only one remained. After not finding a death certificate for Hillis in Missouri, I wrote to the National Archives in Washington, D.C., I received a death certificate stating that he died at Fort Riley, Kansas, from influenza, while waiting to be shipped to Europe. 
I take pride in the knowledge that by using my genealogy skills, I was able to help my mother gain some understanding of her family history. Thank you so much for sharing, Margaret. And if you would like to share your genealogical success story, do write us at familytree at yankeepub.com. Joining me now is the host of the NBC TV series, Roots Less Traveled, Farouk Tahid. Welcome to the show, Farouk. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. How are you? Good. Yeah, now, good. of course, I have an audience full of genealogists who will be very excited to hear about this, but I have to tell you that the fans in my family are actually my grandsons who loved BattleBots. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> How much fun was that show to do? Listen, the this, this show is a lot of fun to do. Um, you know, we, we've actually been postponed because of the COVID-19. Uh, we had our fifth season set to go and ready to record in early April. But hopefully we'll be able to get back up and running this summer to bring our fifth season to your grandsons and awesome. all our amazing fans out there on Discovery for our fifth season. And they'll be there with uh, my son-in-law, too, watching and cheering on. <laughs> they love the awesome. show. Oh, listen, man, listen, the fans, the fans of BattleBots are the best. That's why we, we, we have to, you know, hopefully we get to recover and get to have everybody there to be able to yeah. do this. Because I, I, I need the fans in the stands for me to be able to do my job because they give me so much energy and I just, I love it. It's just so much fun. Oh, they're part of the show, aren't they? Oh, okay. 100%. 100%. So the genealogist listening, what we're talking about is this epic robot fighting battle show, which you have to check out. But we're going to talk about roots less traveled. And um, so this is a very different show to host. How's it going for you? Are you enjoying it? Uh, it was it was an amazing it was an amazing time. I mean, you, I get to go on these personal journeys with our with our castmates, with our heroes. And it's just it's been so informative historically just around our country. You know, I got to learn things that I didn't know just about, you know, just our own history and just the history around these around these stories. But the personal journeys is really what we connect to. It's, it's an amazing time. Yeah, that's why we're all so passionate about it. So tell anybody if they haven't had a chance to watch the show yet, kind of what the premise was. There have been some other genealogy shows. So um, what kind of an approach are you taking? The thing that makes Roots Less Travel different than a lot of the other genealogy shows is that we're dealing with we're dealing with everyday people, number one. And you know, a lot of the shows kind of dived into celebrities uh, family history, and that's great. Uh, but one of the things that we do that's really unique, and the first time it's been done, is we're taking two family members. Uh, we take two family members that are distant for one reason or another, whether it's um, time, like right, like generationally, like sometimes we have a, a grandson and a, and a grandfather. Or maybe it's distance. We had a, a father and a daughter. They live on opposite coasts of the country. So we bring them together and we help them to, you know, uncover and, you know, whether confirm or deny some of the myths and legends in our family history. I mean, we all have those, right, Lisa? Like we have yeah. the stories that get passed down in our families. But we, on our show, Roots Less Travel, we help to either confirm or deny some of those stories. And then I, myself, I get to be like a, a, the host or, or a guide. And I get to take them on what I call a genealogical treasure hunt. Because the things that we uncover it. and unpack are just super, super valuable. That's a really neat approach because I, I'm such a firm believer that, of course, our family history is the story that came before us, but it's part of our story. Mm -hmm. And here you've got it pulling together um, people within a current family and helping them connect with that story. Um, how did you end up getting involved with this show? You know, it's one of those things, Lisa, for me, it, was, it just happened. It, it literally kind of landed in my lap. I had no idea that 
you know, this was going on. My agent told me, hey, you know, you're on a veil for a show. But I'm like, how can I be on a veil for a show that I never auditioned for? <laughs> um, and, you know, as a host and, and, you know, being an entertainment industry actor, you know, we audition. So we know kind of what the show is going to be about. Well, this this particular project, um, I guess my agent, the casting director um, and, and the, the company, the production company, they booked me off of my reel. So when I got the call, I just knew I had the job and it was like roots, less travel. And I was like, okay, now it's time to dive into the deep end and just really understand what I'm about to get myself into. But I mean, I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was, it's just a truly amazing show and I'm, I'm so glad to be a part of it. So it's a bit of an adventure for you as well, it sounds like. 100% because we get to travel all over the world. Um, and we were traveling all over the world before, you know, all the shutdowns and lockdowns things happened. Yeah. So I'm really hoping we get able to get a season two restrictions are lifted and we're able to continue on with our great work that we were doing. Absolutely. I hope it's very soon. I know from what I've read about you is you really are, you love travel and you do it a lot and you've been around the world. How is it a little different um, to travel to a location and realize while you're there that there's more than just enjoying the location, but there's actually this connection going on for real people. How is that for you and how is it for your participants? You know, for me, as as you're saying, I literally have goose goosebumps. I don't know if you can see my hair kind of raising up on my. Wow, you do. <laughs> yeah, but like because because it really is. It's one of those things. One of the things I, I love traveling, and mm-hmm. and for me, my my core reasons for traveling is to experience culture, and the best way I do that is through food. So <laughs> yeah. you know, I love I love tasting other cultures' food. Indian and Thai food is to my favorite. I've been able to go to both of those. But when you go to some of these cities, specifically even the ones we have here in our own country, uh, we did Mexico, we, Mexico City. We also did Cuba uh, on our trip on Ruthless Travel. But being in these places, it, it's so much more than just food. There really is a lot of history and a lot of things that we don't know. Like when we look around, I think we take for granted when we look around and we see everything that we have, the buildings, the streets, the, 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 the economy, the way it's shaped, flows, street names, all of that. It, it has history. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it was developed by some somebody or some people. And just it just happens to be, you know, like, for instance, in Cuba, one of our, our heroes, their ancestor was involved in creating 32 city blocks of Cuba. Oh, like, wow. it's, it's just amazing. And it's got to be just an amazing experience for them, because I know many people will say when you're traveling like that and you're staying there, you just have this sense that people are others are with you, that, that you've been there before. Did some of your participants have that kind of experience where they just felt this other kind of connection? It was almost hard to explain. Yeah, 100%. 100% because they get there and, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, as, as, we're, as we're doing the show as the hosts and the producers, we get together. We try to, you know, we try to find the spots or, you know, kind of create yeah. the stories or give the angles where we can kind of get an emotional response. And one of the things that was great on this show is being with them on these personal journeys is that you never knew what was going to trigger them to be emotional. Mm. You know, specifically when I think about Uncle Al, he was our, our, our real estate uh, guy from yes. Miami. Yeah, the Cuba episode. Something that you guys didn't see, there was a point where we were just walking the streets of Havana and we're literally just walking the streets and he's just looking around, taking it all in, him being a big real estate guy. He's kinda, he kind of sees you know, where he could kind of imagine where it came from, where Cuba was when his ancestor was there and where it is now. And just walking the streets, we were just walking the streets, having a little, uh, a local of uh, um, non-alcoholic favorite drink that they have there. I think it's made of, it was made with tamarind, uh, tamarindo. And uh, yeah, he's just walking the streets and he just started sobbing. 
And he started sobbing because he just, he, he felt the spirit of just, you know, and I, I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't make the connection because I didn't have that, but he had right. it. You know, it was his family, it was his his ancestors. So it's just it was just it's just great to be there and be a part of those moments and be able to support them, you know, as we go along on this journey. So it's it's just really it's just really special. Well, that's what you do such a beautiful job of is you know, you're facilitating that, but you're also facilitating it for the audience. They're watching this and and they're getting those connections and realizing we all have the potential to make those kinds of connections out there for ourselves. I'm guessing you were probably pretty new to genealogy when you got involved with the show. Did Anne's history take some time and show you some things about your family history? What have you discovered? Yeah, you know, I, I, I still consider myself to be a newbie, even after this season. Um, and I'm so excited to learn so much more. You know, they say it takes, and I'm sure you, you know this and a lot of your fans know out there, they say it takes anywhere from 600 to like 800 hours of like research and like a even could just one side of a family tree Mm -hmm. um for me one of the great things i love about ancestry um is that when you go on their website it's kind of crowdsourcing right so if you have people that were in your family that kind of made some connections already when you hop on sometimes some of the work is done for you um i experienced that with myself because um we had i had some family member on my dad's side that kind of went and got all the way back to my four-time great-grandfather on my dad's side which is amazing um, because I never even knew my grandfather's name. So oh, even wow. for me, it was emotional just seeing those names pop up, seeing the Leafs pops up on Ancestry and seeing like my great-grandfather, my, my third great-grandfather's name pop up. It just made me emotional just seeing the names because I didn't even know there was a name. Right. And I can imagine that's the gentleman who went to Cuba. I mean, not only is he discovering the names, but then he actually discovered that there was even this interest in real estate. I mean, how, how funny you think it's, it's so random, but I see that over and over again in families that you see interests or occupations or um, whatever. And and here it is there again, generation, generation. That's really neat. Lisa, that's, that's to me is one of the most amazing things. I, I really, I think I underestimated it to be honest with you. I underestimated the power of family history and your genealogy and knowing, knowing, not necessarily knowing where you come from, but knowing the lives of the people that came before you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's like you said with him, he, he, he always had a passion and love for real estate. And, you know, you go back and you look at his, his ancestor and his ancestor was in real estate. It's just like <laughs> how those connections happen and the fact that it's like embedded in your DNA is mm-hmm. just really, 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 really powerful. Well, I imagine you cover so much as you're trying to film. Uh, have they ever considered doing a web version where they do all the the backstory, the stuff that just never makes it to that 22 minutes on the on the air? Listen, 22 minutes, Lisa. Is not <laughs> For all that we do with these with these amazing people, it's just not enough. You know, uh, so many fun aspects of the show that I would I would love to have implemented. Um, that's one of the things. Our, our our latest episode, the last episode that aired, it was it was a couple things that we could not get into those. So it's like a compilation episode. Right. But uh, I, would, I would love for the second season to maybe be an hour. I think the fans would yeah. enjoy it. I think we would be able to, to be able to lock so much more in because um, we really, really definitely had the content. When I look back and see the show now, I look back, I'm like, oh, we didn't show this and we didn't show that and we didn't show this. This was a great moment. <laughs> that was a great moment. But, you know, restrictions are 22 minutes. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. So talk about second season. So is there is it confirmed and where can people watch? And if it isn't confirmed, where can they put some input in to help you get another season? Absolutely. Please, please, on all social media at NBC Roots or Roots Less Travel, 
Let them know that you want a second season. Let them know how much you're enjoying the show. One of the great things about this summer that we're getting into is that the episodes will continue to run throughout the summer. So right. that's great news. Um, oh, on NBC. On NBC, right. And you can also catch it on, you can also catch the previous episodes because all episodes have aired now, eight episodes. You can catch mm-hmm. them all on NBC.com or the NBC app um, if you want to get at it that way. Or you can just wait for the weekends to pop up and check out the more you know block on NBC. Um, but I got to say the second season, we're still waiting to get word from that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let everybody know that you love the show. You want to see more, tell them you want it to be an hour, tell them it's too short. Um, <laughs> so we can get more information in there, but, uh, yeah. So as soon as, soon as, you know, a lot of restrictions lift and we can kind of see where the entertainment industry is going and how we're going to, you know, go forward. I think we'll, we'll be good to get a second season. Yeah. I mean, we're feeling it for every, everybody's feeling it. I can imagine in your industry, you are as well. You know, a lot of people work on a contract basis and I hope we see things open soon. If by chance somebody was watching this and they're thinking, well, in case there's a second season, I want to be on it. Do you know how people can kind of put their stories out there and propose themselves as participants? I would say continue to do it on social media. I think, okay. you know, a lot of our social media um, is the way to go. Uh, Hit us up on NBC Roots on Instagram, Roots Less Travel on Facebook. Uh, feel free to hit up Ancestry.com and an Ancestry Twitter. Uh, and even myself, you can follow me on at uh, Farouk Adelphia on all social media platforms. And when we get that season two announcement, I'll be the first one to let you guys know. And then I'll tell you exactly how you can get on. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Farouk. Wonderful. And hopefully we'll see you next season. Indeed. Thank you very much, Lisa. Appreciate you guys. In the best website segment today, David Frixell is back at the microphone to share some of the highlights from the new 101 best websites list from the July-August 2020 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks. Nice to be here. Well, you're busy as ever. You've pulled this all together. This list this year is called uh, Good as Gold, and it's full of winners in the genealogy websites arena. So I'd love to hear, what are some of the categories that you focused on this year? Well, I, I have a confession to make, is that we originally started with this theme of the Olympics um, because we figured, well, what's, what's big going to be big this year? Um, of course, there's the presidential election, and, but we'd done the presidential election a few years ago, four years ago, I guess, and so we figured, well, the Olympics would be a good theme to uh, you know, take off on and kind of have fun with. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. Yeah. And so we had to switch gears just a little bit from gee, you know, when you know that you're in the Olympic spirit to now that you're not going to get the Olympics. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, instead, you can go for the gold in your genealogy. So all the categories have sort of an Olympic theme with mixed uh, winter and summer. I think my favorite is the uh, Nordic combined, um, <laughs> which had all the uh, Scandinavian sites. But, you know, we have the heavyweights, so we have you know, like Ancestry and Family Search and so forth. Um, you know, record setters and uh, some been uh, team efforts. And one thing we did differently this year was that some of the sites that are really not primarily for genealogy, like Facebook, for example, or mm-hmm. Twitter, even though they're useful for genealogy, and we've, we've actually run articles about how useful they are, um, we figure, well, like Mark Zuckerberg doesn't really need our help in publicizing <laughs> Facebook, for example. <laughs> So we, we left them out this year so that we would have more room for genealogy-specific um, sites. So we have a, a fair number of new sites or, in some cases, returning sites. Like, I think we've had black sheep ancestors in there in the past, 
for example, but they uh, had gotten squeezed out in recent years, and so now they're back, and Olive Tree Genealogy and a few ones like that, the genealogy guys. Um, we had a category called Coaches on Call, so uh, some useful ones that you know help you with your um, genealogy um, in general. Um, and as well, there's a new one called Life Writer, which it's a, it's a pay site, but it will help you with life story questions. And so if you're interested in writing up your life story, you know, it's sort of like a coach in that sense of, uh, you know, giving you tips on uh, how to get the most out of it. Right. No, and I think these... That these... category also includes this site called Genealogy Gems from the oh! Lisa Louise Cook person. So, you know... <laughs> That's awesome, and I appreciate being included. That's fantastic. I love these categories. They're very clever. You've got Team USA, so you kind of talk about some of the ones that are focused on U.S. records. Equip for success, what were you focusing on there? Well, there, I'm scrolling to it as we speak here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, again, sort of helpful sites, not so much with the advice as the uh, as the coaches, but, you know, Cindy's List, which, you know, we featured in the very first uh, 101 Best Websites, and uh, sites like GEDmatch, which, um, if you're into genetic genealogy, is going to help. Basically, they're tools, if you will. One of my all-time favorites is the one-step web pages, where Steve mm-hmm. Morse has figured out how to, like, dive deep into these sites just with one click or one step. Uh, and you can get into, you know, the Ellis Island records, or he's really expanded to all kinds of things. Um, and there's a new site there called, new this year, called Behind the Name, which is sort of a fun surname and also first name uh, site where you can learn about, you know, what does that surname mean, um, the histories of it, and that sort of thing. Um, and that was a new, you know, new find uh, this year. I know that as you you have to kind of go through these every year. I'm sure websites are changing, they're coming, they're going. Um, did you run across any surprises or or ones that had gone under some revamps? I noticed that you had the Atlas of Historical County Boundaries from the Newberry Library, and I know that they did a revamp in the last year or two. Um, what yeah. kinds of things have you run across this year? Yeah, it's true. Some of them um, have uh, you know come and gone. Um, for example, um, there's a there was a site um, for Michigan um, that was originally called Seeking Michigan, and now it's sort of been folded into something called Michiganology. I'm not sure that's easy enough to say, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, uh, it has all the records that had made Seeking Michigan be a, uh, 101 honoree in the past, but uh, it includes death records, state censuses, newspaper indexes. Uh, and now it's working on uh, naturalization records. So if you have oh. Michigan ancestors, you know it's really a good site to uh, you know to check out. And it, but it's it's sort of new, you know, because it's uh, mm-hmm. it's got a new address, and that happens more often than you might think. And you hope that they've figured out a way to have the old address send you to the new site. But it's just constantly under change, you know, on the on the internet. So uh, you kind of you never know. Exactly. Now, I I love old maps, and I was looking under your category of mapping your venues, and I saw a a site there that I haven't heard about before. Maybe it's just been off my radar, but it's called Mapire. What's that about? Well, it's a beautiful site. Yeah. Um, It's kind of a mixed bag. You know, you you may or may not, depending on which maps you're looking for, Um, but they're colors, ones, 
and you can view them side by side with modern maps or in 3D. Particularly good on uh, Europe. Um, I think we first discovered it a couple of years ago because it was really good with like the former Austro-Hungarian Empire, which is, of course, pretty complicated to you know figure out where your ancestors might have been there. Um, but now it includes even Scotland and Norway, and so there there are these gorgeous old maps. But of course, they're not just pretty to look at, but they can be really useful. Um, in uh, you know finding your ancestors there. Oh, how neat! Uh, I'm going to check and, that out. <laughs> and that category also includes, as you mentioned, now the Atlas of Historical County Boundaries, mm-hmm. um, which is is back in this form, um, and that's just a terrific site. You know, if you, if you have ancestors from places like mine, I have like North Carolina, and the evolution of what county was what there, um, as it sort of moves from the coast, is just mind-boggling. And so to keep track of well. What county was that when, without help like this, you know, is almost impossible. But here, it's a great site from the Newbury Library in Chicago that really lets you figure out, uh, you know, where might those records have been? What county was that at the time before were 93 more mergers and expansions and redrawing the boundary line? Well, again, this article is called Good as Gold. And it's it's a pretty good, I guess, if we can't watch the Olympics, we can at least um, be heroic in our in our work through the different websites that you've got listed here. There's 101 of them in the best websites list for 2020. You'll find it in the July-August issue of Family Train Magazine, and you've been listening to the author, Dave Frixell. Dave, it's always great to have you here. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Well, this month in our DNA Deconstructed segment, I've invited your DNA guide, Diane Southerd, back to the show to talk a little bit about another kind of testing. You're used to the DNA testing, but we've got health tests out there too as well these days. Welcome back to the show, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I know that so many people have been immersed in the DNA testing, learning more about their ancestry from their DNA test. We've got lots of different companies out there who offer these and in different forms, And so folks are getting a handle on dealing with the results, working with them, figuring out how to use them with genealogy. And then here come along health tests. Tell us a little bit about what the marketplace looks like today in terms of health testing. Right. Well, it is exploding, Lisa. Can I just tell you, I feel like I see a new company cropping up every day offering some kind of health or fitness or diet benefit from having your DNA tested. So this this is an industry that's not just limited to our what I call big five genetic genealogy companies, but it's really widespread. Well, now I know when it comes to DNA, it's all about how big is the pool you're comparing it to. How big is the pool? I mean, how effective are these tests? And Because I know you probably need a very large sample size in order to draw conclusions and results. Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest things I like to to tell people. If you're interested in using your DNA to find out information about your health, um, there's so many choices, like I was saying. And for me, I want to stick with the companies that I know and that I'm familiar with. So I haven't investigated every single company out there offering this. But I'm assuming for our listeners, they're really interested in what our big five are doing, our big five genetic genealogy companies. And they're all doing things a little bit differently. There's really two flavors, if you will, of health tests that our five companies are offering. The first is kind of the benign, 
I call it the traits test. You know, they, they're going to look at your DNA and tell you, Lisa, you have blue eyes or you're, <laughs> you're, you're likely to be this height or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so these are things that probably aren't going to surprise us at all. Um, but somehow they're still interesting. I don't know why, but to see it like on paper that my DNA says that I have blue eyes is like, whoa, that's pretty cool, you know. So that's kind of one side of it. And and that's, in my mind, there's nothing, you know, inherently creepy or wrong or um, backhanded that our companies are doing or could even do with that information. Um, but then there's there's the other side. There's There's testing that can tell you very serious things about your future health, um, very serious health concerns like heart disease and breast cancer and a myriad of other genetic conditions that can be traced and tracked using your DNA. And that's a whole separate ballgame than just learning about if your earlobe is detached or not. Right. I imagine there are, people are looking for indicators. Should I be paying more attention to my heart because my DNA says that I'm susceptible or have a genetic inkling towards having heart trouble. So I imagine when you get into this realm of perhaps trying to predict that what the future health of somebody will be, well, that sounds like the insurance industry, because they're insuring people and trying to predict what's going to happen in terms of their health and therefore their costs. Tell us a little bit about what you see as some of the implications of the health testing on the insurance world. Absolutely. So, you know, this this whole idea of trying to, like you said, trying to predict your future health is the business of your insurance company. And they do very, uh, they, for a very long time, they've been tracking you. They, they ask you health questions. Most insurance companies require a blood test of some kind. So this is not new that they might be looking into your genetics to find out, you know, about your insurance capability or possibility or, or reliability, I guess. Um, but there are some protections that are actually in place, at least here in the United States. And that's the thing. It's going to differ from country to country when we start talking about things like healthcare coverage. Uh, but here in the United States, we have something we call GINA. So it's the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. And this, I like to think of her as our spinster aunt, right? And she's all up in our business. You know, <laughs> she's, she's, she's making sure that we're, you know, telling the line on everything. And one of those places is to make sure that our DNA results are protected from being discriminated against um, in an insurance type setting. So while the um, GINA Act does protect us in a lot of ways, it doesn't protect us against long-term care insurance or life insurance. And so there are some limitations on how much GINA can really help us in this area of health insurance and discrimination. But, but it tells me that, you know, people are, are concerned enough that there has been this whole act that's been approved and, you know, is in effect to help, you know, safeguard our information. Right, because we've already seen in the area of criminal justice that those bodies are interested in what's happening in DNA testing, because clearly that has really paid off in terms of solving some of their cases. And who would have ever expected that? the criminal justice system would be interested in our little ancestry DNA, you know, test results. And I imagine, you know, GINA is a regulation, it's it's created Mm -hmm. by the government. So 
like all laws and regulations, then that's up for the possibility of revision in the future, is it not? Absolutely. In fact, when Gina was first proposed, it was much more encompassing. They wanted to protect against long-term care insurance. But again, because of the way things work, it, it just wasn't getting passed in that big sweeping of a package. And so they did kind of reduce it down to its current form, and that's what passed. But definitely there are activists and you know people out there trying to strengthen Gina to expand to these other areas as well. Right. Well, it's a fascinating topic. Anything else that you think our listeners should keep in mind or look into for themselves? Well, I think the biggest thing when we're doing any kind of DNA test is you just have to, have to, have to read all of the terms and conditions. Yeah. All of that legal jargon, you just need to make sure you understand what you're actually agreeing to. All of our big five companies are protecting your data against outside sources as long as you ask them to. But there are times when you can tell the company, sure, you can use my data for research in this way or that way. And if you've agreed to that, then obviously your data is a lot more public or more available than if you don't. So if you're very concerned about these things, just go in and make sure you you check your settings. You can always tell the company, just kidding, I don't really want to participate in that research and pull yourself, you know, essentially cut that off. So we can be you know, diligent about just making sure that we're paying attention to what it is that we're agreeing to when we're taking the test. Ah, good advice. As always, um, you can, of course, read what Diane Southard has to say about DNA at FamilyTreeMagazine.com and in future issues of the Family Tree Magazine. Thank you so much, Diane. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Lisa. It's a pleasure. Well, it's time to visit the editor's desk at Family Tree Magazine, and this month we're going to head on over to the e-learning producer's desk. That is Amanda Epperson, who you've heard here on the show before. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy to have you here, and you've had so much going on at Family Tree University, and I understand the other editors have whispered in my ear (laughs) that I'm supposed to flip the tables on you and you're supposed to interview me because I'm going to be teaching a class. (laughs) Tell the folks what the classes I'm going to teach. <laughs> well, starting on July 27th, you will be teaching Google for Genealogy. And that course will run for four weeks until the 23rd of August. So I shall ask you a few questions about this course. Awesome. So um, what is the online class experience like at Family Tree University? So if I'm new signing up, what should I expect when I'm in your class? The really cool thing about this is, is that you have it at your own pace And if you've never done a class before, it can be intimidating. It's like, am I going to finish on time? Do I have to be there at certain times? You really don't. I am going to be there as your guide throughout the four weeks. So I'm going to be checking in on discussion forums. And anytime you have a question, something's maybe not jiving, or you want me to take a look at an example that you um, worked on, I'm there to help you do that. So it's reading material. Sometimes we have a little short video or two. We'll have some extra reading assignments. There's always an exercise at the end, so you get a chance to try out what it is you were learning that week. But that's the beauty of it. You don't even have to do it week by week very rigidly. It's broken up into four lessons, and it's kind of geared to one lesson a week. But you can do it at your own pace. And I think even if you work ahead a little bit, that's kind of nice because then you've got more time to put it into practice and 
come on back to me and let me know where you're getting hung up and what your questions are. It's, it's a very fun, interactive experience. Yes, most of our students enjoy it um, very much, especially the ability to go as fast or as slow as you like. Um, so that sounds really great. So sometimes when I'm Googling for random things on the internet, like where to take my car to get fixed or what kind of flower is growing in my garden, I am besieged <laughs> with with answers or search results. And if I was related to John Smith and I'm searching who, you know, John Smith, Hamilton County, Ohio, I'll get a billion results. So how can Google help me with my genealogy? Well, it absolutely can. And, and of course, the reason is, is that once you get done with working with some of the big sites, the big genealogy sites, you know, everything else is on everybody else's website, whether it's a library or an archive or a cousin you've never met, somebody who's got a little family history blog. There's information all over the internet. And sometimes it gives you documents and info right there. Sometimes it just tells you where you can get your hands on it in person. So um, it's definitely always great to start first with search to make sure that you're getting to the materials in the most economical way and, and the best use of your time. As you mentioned, most people on a daily basis are just Googling everyday questions. And, and it's interesting that you bring that up because Google is really getting more and more and more focused on meeting the needs of those kinds of Googlers. And as I say in the course, genealogy and genealogists are unique, and they tend to have more complex queries. We've got things that aren't just black and white, cut and dry, things that aren't just necessarily going to be, you know, here's the shop and there you go, you're on your way. Mm -hmm. It's it's so much more detailed than that. So uh, that's what we're really going to focus on. I'm going to share really specific, usable strategies that you can then use to communicate with Google, if you will, to, to get more of those nuances into your queries, to be specific, to give Google directions, if you will. And uh, it can do an amazing job of getting there. Usually, when we get inundated with millions and millions of results, worse yet, that are not good matches, it's typically because we're just not asking quite the right way so that it can help us. But I can tell those listening, if you take the course, you're going to really be routinely reducing overall search results by probably 80 to 90%. And even more importantly, the quality of the results you're getting on page one, page two are going to dramatically increase. So you're going to be going, hopefully, straight to the kinds of things you are looking for for genealogy. Well, that sounds like exactly what I need for my family history <laughs> research. <laughs> so I know that searching is included in lesson one, um, which you've just described very well. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's in the other three lessons? Absolutely. Okay, so what I did with this course was I picked three of what I think are the top Google tools that a genealogist specifically would benefit from. So in lesson one, you learn the search strategies and we actually have a step-by-step -step process that you follow and then different tools that you can use. And then you're going to be able to apply those into them. So lesson two, we're going to jump into YouTube. And that's not a site typically that genealogists think of when they think of family history and genealogy, but I promise you, you're going to Get your socks blown off about what you can find, <laughs> and you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And you're going you're to be using those a lot of the same strategies, but customized for YouTube. Lesson three is going to be focused on the Google News Archive. That's actually, Amanda, a, a 
site that Google retired. They don't currently add new stuff to it, Mm -hmm. but it's a wealth of free digitized newspapers. And because it's retired, you have to approach it a little differently. And I'll show you how to do that. And finally, in lesson four, we're going to dig into Google Books, which has had some changes recently. This is all up to date and ready to go to meet those needs for those changes. So you're going to want to um, get up to speed on the latest there. And you're going to be able to use what you're learning in lesson one to find not just books, magazines, newspapers, almanac. I mean, it's just amazing what's in there. I think you're going to find that anybody who takes this class is going to walk away at the end with just piles of new information that they they never realized was even out there. Well, that sounds fabulous and like exactly the right kind of course I'd want to take. So how do I sign up? Ah, well, that's what you have done so well is you have the whole um, set up over at Family Tree Magazine. I'm going to put the link directly to the course in the show notes for this podcast episode so people can get there. It's really mm-hmm. easy. It's one click sign up. Um, and then you'll get the link to get you to the right spot in your dashboard where you can find all the course materials. So we'll have all that information for you in the show notes for this episode. Well, that sounds great. Thank you very much, Lisa. Awesome. And hey, good job, interviewer. I know who my backup is now. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Thanks for joining me for this July 2020 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. You can find the show notes for everything we talked about today at familytreemagazine.com slash podcasts. And you can find me at my website, it's genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast. And you can also watch my weekly show, Elevenses with Lisa, at the Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.